Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging. Maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. This is the weekend that our nation celebrates freedom, but those in this house should be able to testify there is no freedom like he whom the Son has set free. Amen, amen, praise God. John chapter 6 is where I direct your attention today. Such a great touch of God this week at our camp meeting. So many were able to be there in Ingalls or Fortville with us. And we appreciate what the Lord has done. But I must tell you, for days I've just been ready to get back to Calvary and get here. After what the Lord did here last Sunday, somebody said, aren't you glad to be at camp meeting? I said, I came from camp meeting. I don't want to play church. I want to have good old-fashioned, toe-tapping, foot-stomping, hand-clapping, aisle-running. Praise God. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 12 are telling the story about The multitude that is there, Jesus going up into the disciples, sitting with the disciples, the Passover, the feast of the Jews was nigh, according to verse 4. Read with me at verse 5 of John chapter 6. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, to prove him, for himself knew what he would do. I tell someone this morning, just in the reading of the text, he is not stumped about what to do. He knows the answer before we know the problem. Philip answered and said, 200 penny worth of bread. Another translation would say 200 denarius. But in our language for the time of the day, he said if there were 200 days worth of wages, would not be sufficient for this crowd that every one of them may take a little. And seemingly out of nowhere, Andrew had watched Simon Peter speak up out of place for so long, he gave it a shot. (laughs) When he said, "Ah, there's a lad here. I know this might seem simple. He has five barley loaves and two, just two small fishes. 
And then as if he thinks his admission is ridiculous, part of me and my humanity, I wonder but what he did not endure the glaring eyes of the others. Have you ever given an idea and people around you made you feel like it was a dumb idea? This is what I feel, Brother Mast. I feel like he said, there's a lad here with some bread and some fishes and I can see Peter, the guy who usually speaks up going, I see some of the others like, why are you talking? Because he chases it, but, 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 what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. <laughs> so the men sat down, number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves. Man, you're having a tough day when the preacher steals your lunch. But if you read through the scripture, there's multiple instances where the man of God took the lunch to make a multiplication. Took this little boy's lunch, thanks a lot. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. The disciples gave to them that were set down. When they were filled, he had the disciples gather up the fragments that remained that nothing be lost. I want to preach just a little while what I have felt from the Lord for this Sunday morning. I want to preach about what I brought from home. What I brought from home. Pray with me all over this house. Lord, we love you. We give you thanks. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I pray that you would minister in a mighty way. I pray you'd help me to preach with wisdom and with clarity. I pray you'd touch the people. These have been responding people today in worship. Help us to make the devil mad and you magnified as we respond with the preaching. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and let everybody say amen. amen. Turn to someone before you're seated, whether you've talked to them already or not, and ask them, what'd you bring from home? Ladies, this is not time to rummage through your purse. You may be seated. As you are situating yourselves on these pews, I would tell us that this particular narrative teaches us some timeless truths. And to God's people in God's house from God's word, I would tell you there are some things we need to know from this story. Number one, Jesus never wants people to leave a gathering empty. I would tell everybody in this room, he has no desire for you to come to church and leave empty. He wants you to leave with a full belly. I'm not talking about physically, I hope you got a donut, I hope you got coffee, but that's not what I'm talking about. He wants us to leave having feasted on his spirit. Number two, we are taught by this narrative that small sacrificial offerings, in this case one small lunch, small sacrificial offerings can be multiplied by God to be great for his kingdom. And third, but not last, being willing to give what you have brought with you 
can help feed everyone else that did not. Being willing to give what you have brought with you can help feed everyone else. I would start this morning by telling you a story, an illustration, as it were, that seems to fit perfectly with what the Lord has dropped into my spirit. You will see on the picture behind me, it hung old, seemingly insignificant in what the family called their TV room. I started to class that up and call it the living room or the family room, but the article read the TV room. Pay it no mind, his client told Lucich. He said, the, the family has called that for a long time. It, it, it's the Bruegel. We, 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 we've just made a joke about it. It's our Bruegel. It's, it's, our, it's our knockoff of a famous painting. It was an affectionate dig, a reprint of a reprint. Clearly, it's a fake. I, I need you to give more time to the important things in the room. And the auctioneer, Lucichi, continued to look there at that painting that was caked in dust. It was covered. And, and the owner of the estate trying to get money from the new auctioning away of the estate, he said, here, I want you to look at this TV. I want you to look over here at this nightstand. I want you to look. And the auctioneer eventually pulled himself away and he went and began to notate the other items to sell for the family estate. But he found himself out of the corner of his eye peering back at that dusty painting in the TV room. It was there. It was thick with dust. It had been uh, left just to rot, if you will, in the corner until that auctioneer took it and authenticated what he believed to be true rather than a reprint of a reprint, that which had been discarded by the family in the TV room. There Hanging in their living room was an $850,000 original. Everybody's going to want to go home and check your artwork. An $850,000 original of the village lawyer. But the family did not know. And I want to make a statement that I think fits very clear with the current American family. They believed that the TV held more value. Than the almost priceless painting behind them. Today I feel directed from heaven. To preach specifically and intentionally. About the homes of believers. Believers. Everyone say believers. believers. Now, I want to define believers for you for the sake of clarity. Because sometimes we, as ministers, we think we're clear, but we weren't as clear as we thought we were. So I want to be real clear here at the beginning. A believer, I'm defining this way. Someone who believes in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, including the application of the gospel message. Someone who believes that Christ has purchased you with his own blood. Someone who believes that while the devil walks to and fro like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, God is in fact the lion of the tribe of Judah 
and was manifest as the Lamb, Christ Jesus. Now, on those three, not all encompassing, but pretty clearly defined definitions, I would ask, are there any believers in this house? If you are, I want you to say amen. Now, let me just Pentecostalize that a little bit. I would consider a believer someone that is a tongue-talking, one God-believing, holy-living, righteous man or woman of God that can tell you about the day they repented of their sins, that can tell you about when they were buried in the waters of baptism, and can tell you about when they were full of the Holy Ghost because they spoke in the Bible evidence of other tongues. Are there any believers? I thought we had more believers in the house. I, just wave at me. You don't have to stand. I don't care if you stand. But at least wave at me if you're a believer. At least wave at me. At least wave at me. Because really, I don't want you to wave at me. I want you to wave in the face of hell. I am a believer. I know you want my family, but I'm a believer. I know you want my mind, but I'm a believer. I know you want my heart, but I'm a believer. Why don't we travel back 10 minutes? I know you want my breakthrough, but I'm a believer. Yeah, I'm a believer. But I would submit to you today, there is an ongoing long-term epidemic in the homes of believers. Believers. Much like the painting that I have just shared with you, it is the belief that what is meant to be on display in the homes of believers is of lesser value than its actuality. I submit to you on this Sunday unapologetically that there is nothing of higher value in your home than the fact that you are believers. I don't care if you live in an apartment that didn't cost 20000 or in a home that cost millions. There is no stone. There is no drywall. There is no fixture. There is no decorative artwork. There is nothing that holds greater value than when you walk in that home, you walk in as a believer. But it's been under attack since Adam and Eve. Since Adam and Eve, there's been an attack on godly marriage. Since Cain and Abel, that first brother and sister, there has been an attack on the home of believers. Because if the enemy can get after you, he can also get after your children. And sometimes he'll get after your children to get after you. Uh-huh. When there is no value on the eternal... There seems to be no consequence for the temporal. Say it again. Some looked up. Some heard people say, whoa. And they looked up. I'm going to say it again. When there is no value on the eternal, there seems to be no consequence for the temporal. Shouldn't matter if we miss church for ball. It should. And it does. Shouldn't matter if we miss Bible reading, but we catch all our episodes. Shouldn't matter if I can't remember the last time I read a full book of the Bible, but I can remember every latest fiction. 
John Grisham hasn't dropped a release that you haven't purchased. I'll change genres. Nora Roberts. Some of you don't want to admit it. Some of you acting like you don't know who they are. Who, who is? Who, who is I don't know. Not sure who. Can I tell you right now, Hollywood should not be producing anything digitally that is overriding our mandate to be godly in our homes. But when there is no value on the eternal, there seems to be no consequence for the temporal. When family value was depreciated in the heart of Cain, that first brother, it became easier for him to kill his brother than to change his lifestyle. But I'm telling you, the Lord has put me on a mission for our homes. And the devil is not going to get our homes. You hear me? The devil is not. You know what? I'm going to... Those that will help me here in a minute, we're going to serve him notice. But I want, to, I want to give you some staggering statistics because there are people in the room you'd like stats, so I'm going to give them to you. When Pew Research, Pew Research yields the following statistics, we better take note. 82% of believing families want their children, this is in a private survey, want their children to have deep friendships. 82%. I think that's great. I think we should desire. In fact, I think it should be more than 82% of believing families want their children. I think we all should want that. But it's staggering to me that 82% of families in the church want their children to have good friendships. But only 42% of believing families in the U.S. are concerned about their children living out their faith. Devil, you're a liar. And you cannot have our homes. We will unapologetically teach the Bible in our homes. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to pray the Bible. We're going to speak theology. Research says that Last year, in 2022, Bible reading dropped 11 points. Now only 39% of us say they read the Bible multiple times per year or more. It is the steepest, sharpest decline in our, in our nation's history. We don't need the Bible. We've got AI. Oh, God, help me. I feel like preaching. We don't, we don't need the Bible. We got cars that drive us. I was with a friend of mine who pushed a button on his phone and his car came to him. That's some Jetson stuff right there. But you know what it's turning us into? If I'm going to know him, I'm going to have to be spoon-fed to know him. God's desire for his creation was fellowship. 
And our greatest way to have daily fellowship with him is to get this book opened up in our homes. I know Bible reading might be on the decline, but let that not be said about the members of Calvary Tabernacle and the believers in Indianapolis. We ought to rise to the occasion. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Find somebody, give them a crazy smile and tell them get the Bible in your home. Can I go a little further? The data seems to clearly show that believers have fallen prey to the belief that gathering at church for an hour or two a week is the replacement for daily communion with Christ. For the average faithful attendee at Calvary Tabernacle that spends maybe three hours a week here at services, I would ask us that with 168 hours per week, what are we doing with the other 165? I know we got to go to church, but we got to be the church. But how many know with me that we are living in a world, one of the greatest things the enemy ever did, one of the greatest things the enemy ever did was to get the litmus test of the church to call someone blessed if they showed up to church. Wait a minute, Pastor, I thought you wanted us to be here. Listen, we should have so many people here we couldn't fit. We ought to be running five services on Sunday. And eventually we will. We'll plant churches all over because in the last days, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to tell you, we're at the precipice of the last. But one of the things that fooled us is to thinking, well, I prayed at church. I read the Bible at church. I communed with God at church. To which I would ask this question. If only 1.8% of our week is actually spent in a church service. How do we think that over 98% of our life is going to be right? I'm just preaching to the people watching online, I guess. I'm just preaching to. Say, well, my God, pastor, we came to church. Thank you for being here. I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you. I'm finding myself lately walking through the house talking in tongues. That's what I want. You know what would really give us regional revival? Is if our homes could have revival. If our parenting could have revival. If our marriages could have revival. One of the ways we could have revival is if we'd stop letting the TV raise our kids. It's all right. I know I'm not going to get a lot of amens, but I'm going to preach what I know the Lord has given me for today. We've got to be preparing something at home, not just in the church. Pastor, that's, that's hard. That's hard. That's hard preaching. No, 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 no. You're doing great. You're here. You're here. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm here. What's he talking about? Turn to your other neighbor and tell him he needs to calm down. <laughs> to which I would tell you, that's exactly what the devil wants me to do. 
The devil wants me to be a weak preacher for weak people in a wayward world. Those who think that three hours a week is a lot. Pastor, you don't understand. My schedule three hours is a lot. That breaks down to 25 minutes a day. Imagine if you could only sleep 25 minutes a day. Imagine if you could only breathe 25 minutes a day. Imagine if you could only eat 25 minutes a day. Some of us with a bunch of kids, we've been there. Some of you feel like you're in the army again. But here's what I would tell you. While we need to honor our gatherings, got on this a little bit last Wednesday, we've got to honor our gatherings. According to Hebrews, we cannot forsake it. We must honor our gatherings together. But we must be the church when we're not at the church. We must be the church. Let me tell you something. I, I want to tell you. What we did down here a few minutes ago, we're going to do again. We're going to dance and we're going to shout and we're going to rejoice. And they're going to sing that song and you're going to say, thank God he's done preaching. Let's go set off some fireworks and blow stuff up like Americans. But before we blow that up, I'd like to blow up this mindset that we've only got to be Christian or followers or believers a couple hours a week and everything's going to be over. I know that you know this, but I want to remind you, hell wants your family and you can't let him have your family. Hell wants your marriage and you can't let him have your marriage. Hell wants your children and you can't let him have your children. And what we do at home matters. Man, I heard a statement this week that, that shook me to my core. He said, we've got young parents that would look at their children and say, no. Every parent in this room has probably done that. You cannot eat cookies for dinner. We've all been there. And then you got a little older and you're like, I'll eat whatever I want for dinner. I'll, I'll, eat, I'll turn this refrigerator upside down. I'll eat everything. Some people in here like me, when you got old enough, you ate those cookies for dinner and then you had a six. Mm. Mm, mama knew. Mama knew my belly couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle all that sugar. But we got parents that will tell their, no, you cannot eat children, but we'll let them go dating teenagers. What, what'd I say? I don't know what I said. What All right, come back with me. We got parents that'll tell their kids, no, you can't have cookies for dinner, but we'll let their children go into a bedroom alone with the kid they're dating. Pastor, you're, pastor don't get so far into the family business. You might not know that, that's my job. That is my profession, it is my calling. It is my calling from God to you to tell you we do not raise our kids to like us. We raise our kids to love God. Not to like us, to love God. And I would tell you here today that if we will raise them to love God, it will be countercultural to the world we're living in. To raise your child to dress holy is right. It's right. Listen, moms and dads, 
grandparents to train the next generation that we don't cuss when we get mad. That's so simple. It's right to train the next generation that when we're overwhelmed, we don't run to a bottle, we run to an altar. It's right. So with these things under and in your consideration, I would tell you that we cannot adopt the average American's lifestyle and expect a heavenly result. You've heard it a thousand times. Here's a thousand and one. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. I saw a recent clip that was posted online of Pastor Mooney, and I want to echo it this morning. We don't owe this world anything. We don't owe this world anything. But I want to go a step further and tell you, but we owe him everything. We owe the Lord Jesus Christ everything. So you've had a bad month. I am sorry for that. But he is still good. And he is still worthy. Yeah. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Individual lifestyles must be godly and intentional with daily prayer and devotion, including the reading of Scripture. I would say here today that every family dinner should start with prayer. Everybody in, the, in this room probably is going to know the joke I'm about to say. Are you pre-chip or post-chip? If you've ever eaten at a Mexican restaurant with somebody and they sit down, those chips, they just show up magical. I love to wait until, just like you have, I love to wait until one of my kids gets a mouthful and say, would you pray today? <laughs> Come on, who's done that? Raise your hand. You lie, you fry. Come on. You... But I would tell you it's not a simple thing that we start our meals by blessing. And I would tell you today what the Lord is convicting me about to share with you. We need to get back to discussing the Lord at the dinner table. If every night of the week you eat on a TV tray, man, listen, I'm going to close my eyes. If every night of the week you're doing the same thing in your house as a believer that the neighbors are doing in their house as a non-believer, this is what he's called me to. This is, this is what he's called me to. To tell us that we are meant to be more. That we are meant to be greater as believers. We're not saying we're better than anyone. But we are saying we are connected to the one who has saved our soul. Who has delivered us from evil. I feel conviction. I feel conviction. Allow me to focus quickly. Before I draw to a fast close on this boy here in John chapter 6. But there was fainting coming. There was a multitude that was hungry. And I would tell you whether they know it or not, there is a multitude that is hungry. There is a multitude that is substituting things in their life that cannot fill. And there is a statement. What, what are we going to do about it? 
Jesus knowing already within himself what he would do. Can I tell you, the Lord has never wavered on his answer for hungry people. He hasn't wavered on his answer for your lost family or your lost neighbors. And there is a dialogue that begins to happen when Andrew pipes up. Philip, Philip, what are we going to do? If we had 200 days wages worth of bread, we couldn't feed this much. There's 5,000 people here plus these women. The need is too big. The need is only too big when your God is too small. I feel that for somebody right now. Your need can only be too big when your God is too small. But we're in the situation and Andrew says, there's a kid. Just one little, one little kid. One little, one little kid. What did he have? Five loaves? And how many? One little lunch. One little lunch. One little sack lunch. And one little kid going... as soon as he got it out he goes into self question and doubt and, but, but what what is this amongst so many but haven't we found that if you can give him the little bit you got anybody ever had to worship God when you didn't feel like worshiping God let me ask you a question anybody in this room you ever worshiped God when even your body was hurting while you were worshiping God I had this little back thing making me wanting to just like do this little like. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to worship all the way. Not. But every now and then we just give the little bit. And it seems like God. Anybody ever been worshiping God and you felt miserable? But the more you worship, the better. Because you have found that when you begin to give him the little bit. Has anybody ever given God your little prayer and seen him do a big? Now I want to tell you, what is taught in this story is what the Lord has dropped in my spirit for our church. Thank God for what we get when we come together with the masses. But God has sent me with a question for our congregation. What are we bringing from home with us? I know what we're expecting to take home with us, but what are we bringing from home with us? If every time I come together at the house of God, I have to be reconvinced that he's worthy of my worship. If every time I come together with the congregation, I'm at the point of fainting. Don't you know that as believers, we have the great opportunity to bring praise with us? To bring, oh, somebody. To bring a testimony with us? 
I've done this for a little example here. I've tried to be intentional about this this morning. But I would tell you that when we come together, we are not just any people. We are the believers that I declared in the beginning. As believers, when we come together, Brother Friendly, we're different than just everybody else because we bring testimony with us. We... You bring nothing if you want to. <laughs> but I got something in my life. It might not look like much to you, but everybody else is starving. Everybody else is hungry. What are we gonna do if there is no miraculous? I... Let me ask you a question. What if it's just an average service? Listen, I'm not fooled. There's sometimes you, you leave here and you're like, well, he tried. <laughs> that don't bother me. My job is to preach what I feel for the way. Sometimes you just leave. But here's the problem. If I leave this place empty, it's on me. Because he's the God of abundance. But all over this room are people that got got a little something you're able to bring with you. I handed some bags at Brother Shonk, you ready? Brother Shonk, not everybody even probably knows the miracle that God's done in your body and in your life. Came up to me at camp and reminded, I don't even know if you were there, I got up the next night and I yelled about it in front of everybody. You know what? Because I want everybody to know he's still a healer. He's still a deliverer. Brother Shonk, you know he's a healer, don't you? My question, Brother Shonk, is not whether or not you've got a testimony, not whether you've got a little something. I'm just wondering if you're willing to maybe walk down here and put it on the altar and put it in the hands of the master and let people know, listen, he had a, he had a disease and a sickness in his body and when he was overwhelmed in his mind, it, listen, it wasn't the doctor that showed up, it was the great physician that showed up. It was the great physician. Brother Shonk wants everybody else to know. I brought a little something with me. I'm gonna put it in the hands of the Lord and it'll multiply your faith. And if you walked in with a blood disease, God can heal it right here, right now, in this room. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Brother Cole, just stay here for a second. Brother, Brother Cole, listen, I don't know if you'd be willing but I was in that hospital when a lot of people told me you wouldn't make it and the doctors didn't think you'd make it through. Brother Cole, you, you got a little bag with you right there. You think maybe just as an elder you could walk out of that pew just, I know it doesn't seem like much to some people. It's only five loaves. It's just a couple of. Not everybody knows it. But that right there's a walking miracle walking down the aisle on a Sunday. That might not look like much. Come here, Brother Cole. Just put that, put that little bag right here. For everybody that wants to call that coincidence, we call that miraculous. You got a loved one that's sick? Brother Cole brought a lunch for you today. Brother Cole brought a lunch for you today. Brother Williams, I was just getting here. I was just, I can't tell you what you did for me when you came and danced in the front of this building as a new pastor. I can't tell you. 
You may never know what you did for the spirit of a brand new pastor when you came out of that lung. Brother Williams, not everybody here knows your story, but there's some people here that are in desperate need of a touch of God. I wonder if you got a little something, you might come down. Just, just listen. I know it might not seem like much to some people. What is so little among so many? I tell you what it is, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. It's enough. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to lift your hands and magnify the Lord all over this house. Little is much. Brother and Sister Losh, where are you at? This might not, there's people in this room praying for jobs. I wouldn't embarrass him for nothing. I asked him about this, if I could do this. As we'd get together in this altar and we'd pray about it. We'd pray about that job situation. Thank God doesn't care about your job. Of course he cares about your job. Thank God doesn't care whether or not you're able to live. He cares about your testimony. Somebody in this house, you're praying for a better job than the job you've got. There's people in this room right now, you're praying for jobs so that you can be at church. There's people watching online or you're going to watch later and you can't be in the house of God because of your job. Brother Lash, I need you to bring a little lunch down here. There's probably, if there's a thousand people here today, there's probably 990 that don't even know he ever had a job. But what was important to you? God, I feel the whole. Here's what we do when we come to church. We don't come and do this. We come and do this. So that the person who thinks God can't bless them can be reminded, oh yes he can. Oh yes he can. Oh yes he can. It, it, it's just a little sack lunch. There's not much to it. It's, it's just a little testimony. It's just a little. Who else got a bag? Some people were handed bags. Who else got a bag? Raise your hand if you got a bag. Raise your hand. Bring that, bring that bag down. Actually, why don't you do this? Go stand at the doors if you still got a bag. Go stand at the door. We're not gonna keep anybody from leaving, but go stand at the door. Let me ask you this question. How many should have got a bag? How many should have? How many stories are there around this place that the devil's been trying to tell you you ain't got no lunch? You ain't got no story. You ain't got no testimony. But if the dip. You know what the Lord has done for you. There's, there's testimonies all over this. He's tried to convince you you ain't got enough. But I come to tell you, you got enough. You got enough. Not on your own. But when the Lord.